Ben and Jerry's. When I was in my 20s, I took one of these any night and I just pounded it down, no problem. Now, as I reach my 50s, I look at it and think, what will this cost me? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like, you know, it's too tempting. I really shouldn't have this and I certainly shouldn't finish it. And when I feel that way, that I shouldn't finish it, I go to a sage that gives me great wisdom and advice, Jim Gaffigan. Jim gives the wise words that when you start a bowl, you finish it. He says this because we're American. We finish everything. And then he gives another great input, which is that I'm not a quitter. If I start something, I finish it. Another good reason. And gives one third compelling reason, which is when I finish it, it doesn't require to go back in the refrigerator, which means I'm saving on any kind of problems that would be carried out through the atmosphere. Amen? Come on, amen? Thank you. You're all good. You'll be tempted. It's an interesting thing to ponder, though. We kid around about things like food, but it's this way with everything, with all sorts of facets of life we're tempted by, all sorts of ways that we're enticed, and we have this idea that the enticement itself, it'll be okay if I do this, won't it? Did did you know that temptation offers something to us? Did you know, do you know what it is that temptation offers? I mean, there's a promise that's made by temptation, There's some whisper that we're given. If you take this, something will happen. What do you think the promise is if I indulge in the food? It's going to taste good, isn't it? And I will be satisfied. In fact, if you take any temptation, it offers a very similar promise. Temptation promises satisfaction without cost. I mean, that's why we take it, don't we? Hey, I'm going to enjoy this, and there's no consequence to it. There's no cost that will happen. We often are blinded to what the results may be, or at least we ignore what they may be. And it happens in all sorts of areas, in all sorts of walks of life. Recently, there was a story that came out of Oregon through the radio stations. I don't remember the storyteller's name who recalled it. But it was an interesting story about what was going on at one of the schools in Oregon. This particular school, a bunch of the young ladies had begun to apply lipstick. It had become a trend that they were all trying together. They must have been at that age. And they would go into the bathrooms and apply the lipstick. And then they would kiss the mirror on the way out to dub it off. And pretty soon there were lots of lip problems all over that mirror. There were lipstick stains everywhere. The principal didn't know what to do. It was getting out of hand. And so she decided to bring in these girls along with the custodian. She wanted them to understand what it meant and why he had to deal with this problem that they'd made, how much work it was for him. So the girls are standing around. She says to them, this custodian has to clean up every time you do it, and it's very difficult to clean up. In fact, I want you to see just how difficult it is. So she had the custodian pull out this very long and large squeegee, something that he would use on the mirror. He went over to the toilet and put it in the toilet, and then he began... (laughs) to clean off the mirror. Do you think that ever happened again? Problem solved. Temptation promises satisfaction without cost, and it lies. The girls didn't understand the work that a custodian would have dealing with this. But they also didn't understand the filth they were engaging in by what they were doing. That's what happens in our lives too. 
We often see temptation and we think, I can be satisfied without cost, and it is a lie. And what we want to do today is look at what Scripture teaches. What do these fellow Christians have to say to us? What does God himself want us to understand in order to live in a different way, free of the consequences of temptation? And so with this in mind, we're going to look at two passages, really brief passages. They're not at length, several verses of each. One is written by Paul to the church in Corinth. Paul is an individual who had been going out terrorizing Christians and killing them, and Jesus revealed himself to Paul through a vision, and Paul's life was transformed, and now he became one of the largest proponents and probably the most significant missionary in the early church life all throughout Asia Minor. So he's going to write to this church in Corinth and have some things to say about temptation. We're also, in the midst of that, going to look at what James, the brother or the cousin of Jesus, has to say. Another one who'd walked right alongside of Jesus, both with great wisdom and insight about temptation. Now we're going to start with a passage in Corinthians. It's in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, for those of you who want to know today where it is. Uh, And I want to just tell you this before we get started, kind of back up a little bit to what was going on and what Paul had to say. You know, before I do that, let me tell you one other thing because it occurred to me, I I neglected to mention this. We always have a reading plan. I'll I'll tell you, I don't typically tell you you have to turn to your Bibles because the scriptures are right here, though it's wonderful if you do. But what we care about is that you're engaged in the scripture when you're home and on your own and that will even become more evident as we continue on today. We always have a reading plan. There's a bookmark outside in the lobby. But on your app, if you have the app, the All Shores app, the, it has more directions. There's always a reading plan, but we did something unique this series. If you go to each day of the app, it sends you to a website called first15.org. And on that, you will have a devotional thought, a scripture. It will have a worship song. It will have a prayer. And then it will have the reading that we gave you today. It's a way to expand your time with God. So I just wanted to remind you of that even as we go back to what's going on today. Look at, grab on the app and be able to engage with us more deeply in terms of your study and reflection and being in God's presence. So back to 1 Corinthians 10. Paul has just given them a few cautions. He's telling them and recounting their history as Israel made the exodus out of Egypt. Now normally this is a very positive thing when Paul or others recall it, but in this circumstance he's spinning it a little more negatively on the downside. He says to them, listen, you had the cloud over you, meaning God's presence was over you. You also were there when God parted the Red Sea. You know that your families were there and they were fed in the wilderness. And he says, but guess what happened? You continually complained and you looked for other things. And ultimately it led to your demise, your forefathers, our forefathers' demise. And then he says this about the past. It is a written warning to us. There's a caution to us that somehow they believe this lie that temptation will satisfy you at no cost. And it was like otherwise they were wrong. So now he writes a caution to them. He's trying to give them advice about how they're to approach and deal with temptation. And he says this. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Now look at the first half of this. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. This word, be careful, is the only imperative in this passage here. It means he's commanding them, be careful. And be careful literally means open your eyes. 
it's communicating to these folks the way Israel got in trouble was they were blinded to what they were actually doing. Now, you and I have multiple ways we do this, don't we? Well, I do. I'll just say I do. So I'll tell you what I do, and maybe you'll relate to a few of these things. I'm sure most of you, you don't have any temptations or any struggles, so nod off for a while because you don't need to be careful. You're fine. But think about this. What, do you ever do this? You know, just this once. Just this once. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's not the way I really live. It's an exception. I don't normally do this. It's time to indulge myself just a little bit. Or how about this one? You know, if you were in my circumstance, you would do this too. No one can live through what I'm missing out on right now. Do any of those? Ever been that place? You have some kind of rationalization, some kind of excuse to tell you the steps you're taking aren't a big deal? Or how about this one? This is the one I find the most interesting. No one else sees it. No one else knows about it. I don't hurt anyone. You know that's a lie, don't you? Now, that's one side of the excuses we make that we should be careful on. Here's another one. It's just an observation. The older I get, and I'm a part of the Christian community, meaning the church in general, not just our church, but the church, I have found oftentimes people fall into temptation in the areas of greatest strength. Have you ever seen this? Someone who's a big proponent of family life or of marriage falls into adultery. Someone who's been incredibly ethical and manages over finances falls into inappropriation of funds. And we could go on and on. So I want to even caution you to be careful in those places you think you're strong. I mean, it's interesting that he says it this way. If you think you're standing firm in the areas you think you're strong, man, keep your eyes open. Be careful. Be alert. Then he continues, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to all of humanity. Now, have any of you, I'm sure you've never done this, I've only heard others do it, but have any of you ever said, if no one else is going through what I'm going through right now? No one else knows the temptation I know. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Come on, you never said that? Don't we do that? You have no idea what I'm going through right now. No one could understand this. No one could understand the burden I'm under, the tough road I'm hoeing on this deal. And he says, everything's common to mankind. All of us deal with similar things. A few years back, an Anglican bishop, Todd Hunter, wrote a book about the things that we love, the sins we love. And he did a pretty extensive survey to find out what are the things people are tempted by. Now, the first category he calls old temptations. It just means it's been around a long time. It's not meaning older people are tempted by it or there are things that are on the way out. But let me just show you his list from research. Top of the list, Ben and Jerry's. Eating too much. But look at the other things, spending too much. You ever tempted when your checkbook says no to say yes? Have you ever done this? You know, I know we can't afford it, but I deserve to go out tonight. I deserve that new outfit. I deserve the golfing weekend. I deserve a new car. How about gossiping? Man, it's not good until it gets said to someone else. I think it'll satisfy me. It won't cost anything. No one else will know. Feeling jealous, viewing pornography, lying or cheating, alcohol abuse or drugs, 
doing something sexually inappropriate with someone. Now, you may look at this, by the way, and think, oh, look, the things that are more common are things that aren't as severe. What he found in his research was even under survey, people lied the more intimate it got. It is funny, but it's also scary, isn't it? Be careful. Don't kid yourself. Every one of these, every one of us can be prone to it. No one's immune. I want to show you just a few more. He has then what he calls new temptations, which mean in our current climate, there are new ones that are emerging. And then he has ones that he says are unique to our culture, this Western wealthy affluent area. So just think for a minute. What do you think would be unique temptations we would have as wealthier people in a wealthier climate? And then what would be new given our day and age? Okay, this is what they are. Western temptations, procrastinating. Isn't that interesting? Our work ethic is lower. It actually shows up twice. Being lazy and not working is hard. Something in our comfortable climate is drawing us more and more towards sloth. And then worrying, which I don't, I'm not speaking of worry as a I mean, there's a lot we could say about worthy. It's wor- worry, it's its own deal. But I want you to understand this. We have more resources than anyone in the world and we worry the most. What does that tell you? I mean, I'll just, and we're not gonna go down farther, but I just wanna tell you what this simply means is we believe the temptation that if I have enough, I'll be satisfied. It's a lie. It's unique to us. Go to these new temptations. Spending too much time on media. Do you know anybody who's on their phone too much? Is it you? It's funny how we, I don't know if, you, this is what I typically hear. Those younger kids, somebody's throwing their phone back to me from the back. Those kids today are on their phones too much. They don't know how to manage it, but we do. I, a couple of, about a month ago, a couple of my friends who are, they'd be in the, the mid-boomer generation, kind of, nearing or at the retirement age, they were sitting out in the lobby having a conversation, I thought. I looked up and guess what they were both doing? Two guys. I pulled up my phone, because I had mine, ready to take a picture, and they quick saw it and hid theirs. I thought, listen, this is of all of us. It is a new temptation. Our phones say to us something. There's a temptation to go, real life is found here. I will protect myself from boredom, I think is what we say. I don't know what to do with myself if it's not in front of me. I need something to keep me from being bored. There's no cost to this, but there is. And look at this as an outplay of it, by the way, going off on someone via text or email. How many of you have said things you would never say to someone over an email or over a text? Oh, man, you guys don't do much of anything. I've done it. I've had to apologize so many times, it's just pathetic. We have these temptations today And they're all common to all of us. We all live in this place. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but the scriptures actually give a categorization of temptation that I believe all of these fit into. They're called seven deadly sins. You may have even heard that phrase, even if you haven't been around church. It's cited in the Proverbs, but these are them just for your listing pleasure. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, Envy and pride. Think just for a minute about what each one says. You can have what you want now. Oftentimes, lust isn't even about whether it's right or wrong, it's about when. But you can have it, and it's all about you and for you. Is love ever all about you and just for you? No. Gluttony says, I need more. It tastes good, but I don't have enough. 
And you know this just from a nutrition standpoint, don't you? If you eat the wrong things, you never are satisfied, so you want to keep eating. When you eat the right things, you don't. Greed says, I don't quite have enough yet. And we saw that worry's a problem. This tells us probably a major one in our day and age. Sloth, which we'll get into some other time. We needed somewhere to do a whole topic on just work and the value of work. God actually made us, you know that that was good before the fall. God made Adam and Eve to work in the garden. It was a wonderful thing. Wrath, we're gonna actually deal with unforgiveness and bitterness in a couple of weeks. Envy says, I want your destiny, not mine. And pride says, I'm at the center of it. All of us are subjected to these temptations. All of us are tempted by one thing or another. Now that's the foundation Paul lays. Let me jump over to James before we come back to Paul. And he's gonna write to the church. And he has a unique perspective as well about temptation. This is what he says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Have you ever thought or said to someone or to yourself, God put me in this. If God didn't want this, he wouldn't have put it in front of me. I didn't cause this to happen. Someone else did. Or even if we don't say it's God, guess who we do say? The devil made me do it. That's the problem with Adam and Eve, you know, too. They blame the devil for their own desire while he whispered they took. But let's take it a step farther. We have this view that perhaps God causes this. Now, this can come from a confusion over scripture. There's the word temptation, and then there's a principle of testing. Temptation is giving you something that's an imitation of the real thing. That's a substitute. That's what temptation draws you to. Testing is a call to your character to grow. God does test us. God tested Abraham. He didn't tempt him, showing and growing his character and faith in him. And God will test you. Paul tells us in the letter he writes to the church in Rome that character grows through suffering and perseverance. And then comes character. Then we have hope and then we have this recognition the Holy Spirit moves. We cannot mature without testing. James says this earlier. Rejoice in your trials because it proves, it matures you, is what he says. I just want to be clear. God doesn't tempt or test us. He does test us. I mean, he doesn't tempt us. And let me just take this one more step. Do you think God loves you or he's hard on you? God adores you. He's not looking out to take you down. And even at the places he might confront you, it's because he loves you. We sing songs like, you're a good, good father. And I can tell you as a dad, I want good things for my kids. And even in my sinful state, I want that. How much more does God want this for us? So what an important thing to understand. God isn't just simply not tempting us. He is for us in this. We'll come back in a minute and see why. Now, though, James is going to continue and explain how temptation moves to sin. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? Their own evil desire and enticed. It's our own longings that move us here. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a process that moves us in temptation to death. That we take steps. It doesn't happen all at once. At first, there's a longing in our hearts and then the longing, we begin to take steps toward, and then those steps become more of a way of life, and ultimately that way of life leads to destruction. 
By the way, it's a side note, but this is why I think Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount to test our hearts, not just our activities. He knows the root of sin is in the heart, not simply in the behavior. But think about this as it relates to just places you've either known or seen. And I'll give you a few examples where I've seen this. Let's just use the case study for somebody who's gone through an affair. They're at home in their marriage and they're looking at their spouse and their feeling needs aren't getting met. For lots of reasons, we won't even need to know why. They begin to go to work or to another setting where someone of the opposite sex is giving them attention. Maybe they're just empathic, maybe they're just friendly, but it feels like a void that they thought they were supposed to get here, they're starting to feel here. Temptation offers satisfaction, right? And not only that, I'll just tell you this, temptation will always be an imitation of the real thing. So in this imitative place that's offered, they make a venture this way. First, it's just conversations. Then you know what you know, they start having conversations alone. Then maybe their conversations even about their disappointments with their spouses. Then maybe it becomes emotionally engaged. Then pretty soon, maybe they even find a time to get away and be together all the way out to the final steps. Do you see how a passion and a desire gives birth to an activity which gives birth to death? Let's take the issue of addictions. People start using drugs, whether legal or illegal, over-the-counter prescription, all sorts of ways, whether alcohol, and they start doing it typically to enjoy themselves. You know, maybe it's hard to be in a crowd, and I'll just take a little edge off by having a little bit here. Maybe there's some pain going on in life, and this medicates it. And pretty soon, those activities become increasingly because there's a positive feeling. You see, the temptation promises an imitation of peace that doesn't really satisfy, but it's an imitation, and the road keeps going. And pretty soon that becomes more and more involved to where blackouts begin to occur and other problems begin to occur to the point where now they're going to take those medications just to feel normal. And you know unresolved addiction ultimately always leads to premature death one way or another. You see how these work? Do you see how the enemy actually has devised this and how James here is telling us how our own desires move us in this horrific, horrible direction. You see, there's a principle we need to know in addition to this, this idea that it's a pathway and a process. We come back to this really simple reality. Whoops. Can you guys cut that a second? Sorry. I thought we were going to see the slide that I didn't get. All right, I'm going to skip that. I'll just tell you this. Relationship, and I said this already, it is a substitute. It is an imitation of the real thing. Never settle. Now, what I want you to understand that I'll show you now because you already saw the beginning of it is uh, there also is a problem that we have with how far can we go. Have you ever done this? I won't fully give into it, but let me see how close I can get to where I shouldn't go. Now, some years ago, uh, Jane and I, when the kids were growing up, we wanted to do some things to help them grow in purity and kind of manhood and womanhood. So we took them away. In that day and age, this passport to purity was very commonly used. And I'm not saying it's the best thing out there. Back in that day, it was what we had, and it's what we used. But there were these activities that we did in it, which any of you, I don't know if you've taken your kids away or done any of these things or begin to have those conversations, but in order to enjoy it, you have to realize they're going to be really uncomfortable, and that makes it fun. So I just want to remind you of that. It is. It's kind of fun. Watch them squirm. Watch them go, oh. And none of that stuff gets easier until you talk about it more. It will never get easier at first. It gets easier the more you have conversations. And who better to have those conversations than parents with their kids? 
So anyway, I'm not saying we did all this right or did it well, but there's this wonderful little thing we did while we were away. There were lots of these little, vi- these little audio things you listen to. And I want you to just hear this one with the thought in your mind. Oh, there's, there's it is. Boom, you found it, didn't you? Does this mean my next slide is going to be the one I want it to be, or did you guys move somewhere else? No talking back. It's all good. We'll just see what happens. Anyway, I want you to just listen to this and think about how far would you go, how close to a place where you might lead to trouble in your life, and we'll see if this... Citizens of Ambrose, Her Royal Highness, the Queen! And may God save you. Knights of Ambrose, I have summoned you here today because I require one of you to serve in my court, to bear me up on my throne, and to advise me in matters of state. Sir Arnold! Yeah, my queen? Would you like to serve in my court? Oh, yeah, your highness. It would please me greatly. Very well. I know you to be strong, Sir Arnold. You need only answer this question. If you were carrying my throne around Ambrose Cliff, where the path is narrow, how close to the edge would you go? My lady, it is as you say, I am very strong. I could carry you within one foot of the cliff. I see. Sir Jared! My queen, I am your servant. What say you? How close to the edge of the cliff would you carry my throne? I am as strong as Arnold. But I, I possess perfect balance. I could carry your throne within six inches of the edge. I could not. I could be. I could be. I could carry you within three inches of the edge. Could not. Yes, I could. Could not. I could. You may hope you could not. Silence! Sir Connor, what would you do? Your Highness, were I granted the honor of carrying you on my shoulders, I would go nowhere near the edge of Ambrose Cliff. You have kept us safe from our enemies. You have fed your kingdom from your storehouses. You have prayed for our peace. Your life is far too precious. I would never put you in danger. Sir Connor the Wise, will you serve in my court? It would be my honor. You know, it's, it's funny. I still remember that. That's why I played it today, because it, it had such an impact on me to think about in my own life. Do I ever think to myself, how far can I stay away from temptation? Do I think, how I won't even want to go near it? Maybe you're not wired this way, but it's easy for me to think, I will come close but not get in trouble. And I go, what a great reminder that what we hold on to in the reality is so much more important than this imitation. That there's something very precious about saying I will not go even close to something that would put me into trouble. You know, a lot of times, a lot of what we get into trouble in, and I I sit with lots of people I have over all the years of my life in ministry, and we put ourselves in positions that are so compromising. And we sit and say, you know, I'll be okay. I'll do this anyway. And we get into trouble and we wonder why. So this may seem like a silly kid's story, but I'm telling you, it's powerful. And it reminds us of this really simple truth that with temptation always offers an imitation. 
always offers an imitation of the real thing. Never settle. Never settle for that. Now, just as a side note before we go on, it is my fault that the slides got messed up. I don't want the team to feel like they messed it up. So this is twice I've done it in the same morning. So I'm going to have some more coffee in a little while. Now, when, when uh, Paul finishes this, which we just finished that passage he went through, his next piece of advice is very simple. You know what he says to them as a, as a means of helping them? Run, flee. When there's something tempting, go away from it. Very simple, practical advice. Get as far as you can from that which you might be enticed by. Go away from it. Now, James gives a very different piece of advice, but with similar helpfulness to it. We'll go back to his ending. He has just talked to them about what happens very specifically with temptation, how it leads to death. And this is what James has to say in response to it. He says, oh, I already passed this one here. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's saying there's good here in this for you. What you have to do is focus on what is good, not what is horrible. And when you fix yourself on what you're grateful for, on the truth and the real thing, the imitation doesn't matter. I mean, we always talk about this, don't we? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Did you know that was attached to temptation? It's saying you go down things that are false, that are imitations, you're in trouble. You go down the road of the reality, you don't want the temptation. How many of you in a place you're struggling ought to just stop today and give thanks for what God has done that's good in this area? We all need to. Powerful, powerful advice. And let me simply remind you of how Paul finishes this too. He says God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He's saying here there's no temptation God won't help you out of. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. God will never give you more temptation or allow you, we should say, more temptation than you can handle. Now, anybody know how this verse usually gets quoted? Usually it's when you're in misery, you've suffered a bunch, and what do we say? God never gives you more than you can handle. Does that say that? It doesn't. I wanna be really clear. You, some of you will suffer beyond what you can handle. What God promises is to be with you in it, not to give you less than that. When he says this, it's about temptation. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you compare. And when you are, he's gonna help you through it. He is gonna help you out of this thing and get you through it. But what I wanna do now, those are really easy pieces of advice. Listen, when you're tempted, run. When you're tempted, give thanks for the things that are real and good. You could say that whether you're a Christian or not, though we say it banked in the reality of who God is. But let me go take you to a place that has no comparison. You see, one of the common misunderstandings we say is that God doesn't understand what I'm going through when I'm tempted. When Jesus walked the earth, as his ministry began, he went out into the desert for 40 days and nights and did not eat or drink, it tells us. The devil is out there with him. Now, he's in his humanity now. This isn't like he's got a shell around him so he doesn't feel this. And the devil says to him, whispers to him, 40 days, at the end it says, Jesus was hungry and then the devil came to him and he said, take that stone and tell it to become bread. And Jesus responds with three words, three powerful words that are a weapon for us. He says, it is written. And then he quotes Deuteronomy. Humanity does not live on bread alone. 
And the text continues, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil tempts him with provision. And Jesus goes to the scriptures to protect himself. Now, the second temptation the devil brings, he actually misuses scripture. He takes Jesus to a high point and he says, throw yourself down on the cliffs. Throw yourself down to be dashed on the rocks. For it is written, and he quotes Psalm 91, the angels have charge concerning you and will keep you steady. He twists it. And Jesus said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That, by the way, we go from provision to protection. Then the third one Jesus experiences is the devil takes him to a high place, shows him all the kingdoms and says, if you'll bow down and worship me, you can have all these kingdoms. And Jesus says, it is written, worship the Lord your God only and serve him only. And the devil goes away. By the way, the third one's pride, in case you wonder. There are three beautiful P's that you get out of that, that we see out of this. This is the part, though, I want you to understand. Jesus cites the scripture, not because he was brought down to earth and he just had it all at his disposal. Jesus came in the shell of humanity. It says he limited himself. That means he grew up as a young man memorizing and focusing on scripture. It penetrated his life so that when temptation came, he had a weapon. He was couched with what the real thing was when the imitation was offered. In fact, I love this one particular verse in the Psalms. It gives great image to what, what Jesus understood. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You wonder why we constantly tell you, read the scriptures, read the scriptures, read the scriptures. It's our weapon. The word of God becomes the literal presence of God as we read it and it gets into our heart. You have an area for temptation, look up verses about that area. Begin to let those words seep into your soul so you know what the real thing is when the imitation is offered to you. That you know how to combat it. But let me tell you one more thing about Jesus doing this. That I just, I'm so enamored with this. It's so beautiful that Jesus lived and he suffered and he dies, died and he rose again. All that means for our forgiveness. But there's so much more too to what he did. He lived and he walked in temptation. He walked in temptation because he went through what we couldn't win on. You and I lose in temptation. That's the story of Adam and Eve. That's the story of sin. That's the messiness of our lives. And Jesus walks right through it and comes victory over it so that you and I can live a new way. God before us. God in us. God for us. It's powerful to me. This is not simply a principle to follow. It's a revelation to live. And let me just say it to you again. Temptation offers imitation for the real thing. Never settle. Never now, I want you to know we have been praying about this series for months. You know, we pray all the time for different things. For some reason, this series, at least for me, has just been this, God wants to do something. God wants to do something. I can't tell you why or what, but I'm telling you in the soul, the center of me, I just believe this. And so I really want to take a few minutes and pray for you today. And I'm going to ask you to do this just to close your eyes. And I'm gonna ask you even to raise your hands if you fit any of these categories. So you close your eyes. I just want you to take this in. Even ask the Spirit, is this true of me? I think some of us here today are just beginning to engage in some tempting areas, thinking there's no consequence and nobody knows. And God wants to meet you and break you free of that. I think there's others of us that are in the middle of some pattern 
of engaging in temptation that's beginning to destroy your life. You may not even see the consequences, but you can feel it in your heart. You know there's kind of a crusting over that's going on in you. And you can feel your priorities and your passions dying and changing. And then some of us here, you're neck deep in it. You're scared to even tell anybody because of the potential consequence for it. And I believe God wants to break through in every one of those situations. So all I'm gonna ask you to do, if you're going, I've got some area of temptation, great or small, far down the road or beginning, with your eyes closed, I just want you to raise your hand. Thank you. And I wanna pray, and I believe supernaturally God wants to meet you in this. So Lord, I am asking powerfully that you'd move today in these lives. These that have been honest and said, I'm confessing, I'm struggling. God, in those places where it's beginning, I pray you would turn them quickly and you would reveal the truth over the imitation. They would flee and they would celebrate what you're doing and who you are. I pray for those who are in the middle of it, their hearts beginning to crust over and struggle, that you would remind them, that you would soften that heart that is beginning to crust over. And Lord, you would move them away from the imitation to the real thing. God, if it's something that they have to find you in instead of finding it in another or in a circumstance, let them find their centeredness in you. Not just look to what you give to them, but look to your face. And then, Father, I pray for those who are neck deep in it. They're entrenched. They don't know how to get out. They don't know what it means. Supernaturally, Lord, I am praying you would break any bondage where the enemy would even be going at them. In Jesus' name, you would break that bond. And Lord, you would put the people around them, that you would surround them with support, that you'd help them to know who to talk to. And Lord, I pray, whether it's instantaneous or whether it's a process, that you'd move to bring hope where there's despair. Father, and then for the rest of us, let us walk in such a way that we are being careful, that our eyes are opened in the areas of strength and weakness, and God, that we will walk towards you, the real thing, and not imitations. Move among us, bring breakthrough among us in this area. In your holy name, amen.